Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to our worship teams everywhere. Genesis chapter four, 3, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. Thank you for joining us here at Rock Spring, online, Dalton, Rossville, wherever you are. We're thrilled you're engaged with us this morning. Well, I started my sermon series. Today's the last sermon in the beginning. Uh, looking at how things unfolded, tell us a little bit about how things are now and in the future in our lives. And so last week we looked at how we messed it up, right? Man kind of took God's perfect creation in those first three, seven verses of Genesis three, uh, we messed it up. Well, then right behind that, God fixed it. And so today I want to preach on this subject, how did God fix it? How did God fix it? Now the truth is, we are not really good at diagnosing the root cause of our troubles. The, the fact is, we're just not good at it. Uh, I, I'll talk about it later on in the sermon. But when we have trouble in our lives, when we have problems in our lives, we, we have this deflection uh, tendency to deflect everything away from being our responsibility. And so, so we have trouble in our lives. We have problems in our lives. It's never our fault, right? It is it, because it's always somebody else's fault. It's always something else happening to us. And we see that even in the beginning in Genesis chapter three, when things got sideways, when things got messed up, man immediately began to deflect and cast blame somewhere else. And me and I'll just be honest, I, I'm, I'm in here with you. Men are not really good at taking responsibility when we mess up. I saw this newspaper article, old newspaper article the other day, and it said, bossy wives blame for trend to jug. Now, that's kind of in language from 100 years ago, but here's what they were saying. Men drink because wives are bossy. Don't say amen right there, okay? Now, now, you can't read this, but I kind of extrapolated out what it says. It says, men are drinking because women are engaged in too many verbal gymnastics. The translation of that is, you talk too much. Then they said, men drink. I'm totally against alcohol. You know that. I'm 100% against it. I'm just talking about, you know, why why it happens. Um, Because you're acting like intellectual exhibitionist. And I don't even know what that means. But see, you're doing it. Or you're ignoring the economic facts of life. I know what that means. You're spending all our money. So I'm turning to the jug. I could work harder or I could just get drunk. I don't know. But um, you're breaking through the tension barriers of their husbands. Meaning that um, I don't know why saying calm down to a woman doesn't make you calm down. It just never does. You break through those tension barriers, right? Or you're launching husbands too often into social orbit. 
And I don't know what that means either, but stop it. Stop it. It's your fault. We're, we're acting like this. It's like the one guy I heard him say, I, I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. <laughs> You're always right. It's, it's, and it's your fault. So we, men, men kind of, we have this tendency. We, we blame you for what's going on in our lives. I, look, I'm no different. I'm no different. My wife, you know, I, don't, I can't, I can't decorate a thing. Like I'm not a, I don't know anything about decorating. Nothing. I know nothing. You couldn't let me decorate anything uh, at all. But my wife's great, great, great decorator of the home. But our home is kind of filled. We grew up with two girls and so they didn't tear stuff up. And so our home now is um, not even, we didn't even grandchild proof it. We just, she just kept it the way it was. But our home is kind of filled with decorations that are, how do I, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, breakable. Breakable. And look, I'm kind of, like, let me just be honest, I, I'm, I'm athletic, like I, I can play sports, I'm good at that, I'm, 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 I'm fast, I'm strong, I'm good looking, like, wait, 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 that didn't have anything to do with the sermon, but anyway, um, you know, like, I, I'm agile, but I'm really clumsy around the house, I'm just real clumsy. My, when you combine my clumsiness with my wife's uh, ability to decorate beautifully with breakable items, it's not a good mix, and we have this corner in our home that's coming out of my office at home going into the main part of the house, and there's a sofa table right there, and it wasn't long ago that my wife put these candle motifs, it's like a wooden stone candle motif, and they were various heights, one like this tall and one's that tall and various heights and then there's a beautiful candle that sits on top of them and she put them on the corner of this sofa table where I have to turn the corner and get into the main part of the house and yes I have this much space but they're in my way and I turn the corner. I can't tell you how many times I've turned the corner and I've hit it with my elbow and it started that wobbling thing going on and I've prayed, dear Jesus, God Almighty, please don't let that fall. And I've grabbed it just in time. But the other day I turned the corner and I hit it with my elbow. I hit one of them with my elbow and I didn't catch anything. And that thing went falling down on the ground. The, it, the candle hit the floor and it broke into multiple pieces. Nobody was home. And I did what any man would do. I swept it up, considered super glue. Uh, too many pieces for that. Couldn't find some of the pieces, as a matter of fact. And um, swept it up, put it in the garbage can, carried the garbage out to the big can, put it up, put a new bag in the can, and thought she'll never know. I don't know what it is about women. She saw it immediately when she walked in. The, I, I think she saw it when she pulled in the driveway. Like, I think she knew. It's like the force, something doesn't feel right about our home. <laughs> she saw it in the house. She said, what happened? And of course I did what every man did. I, I, I took all the blame for it. I said, uh, I said uh, honey, I'm just clumsy around the house. I want to beg your forgiveness. That's not what I did. She said, what happened? I said, I'll tell you what happened. You put the candle somewhere a candle didn't need to be. That's what happened. It's not my fault. You got to learn to decorate and it's, it, it's, it's on you to account for my clumsiness in the house. That's on you. Yes, I forgive you, but only this time, only this time. <laughs> Don't do it again because we're not good at accepting blame. Matter of fact, I want you to do this real quickly. All right. 
If you're watching at home, Dalton Rossville here at Rock Spring, I want you to do this. If your husband or your wife is next to you, I want you to look at each other. And for 10 seconds, I want you to come up with the last argument you have. All right? Think about it. Do it right now. Just do it. Don't look at me. Look at each other. Come up with the last argument you have. See if you can remember it real quickly. All right? You, you got it? You got, it was yesterday. Don't act like you can't remember one. It was yesterday. Like, I don't know when we got an argument last. It was this morning on the way in. You got it, all right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I'm, we're going to take a test, and, and I want, now don't say it out loud. Don't, good Lord, don't raise your hand, all right? All right, so number one, we were both at fault, all right? Number two, it was my fault, right? Number three, it was their fault, all right? You got it? Fourth one, last one. It was the Democrats. Is that, is that like that's, that was it. I knew that was it. I knew that was it. Right? We're, we're not good at accepting blame. Like it, before it's my fault, it, President Biden, it's his fault. Like it's not my fault. But can I tell you when we, when we mess our lives up, when we throw blame somewhere else, that's never going to help us get beyond. It's never going to help us put things back together. It's never going to help us get things fixed. It's never going to make, bring the healing into our lives that we need brought into our own lives. When my life is broken, how do I fix it? When things are sideways, how do I get them turned the right way? Well, let's see what God did. Genesis chapter 3. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Genesis chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 8. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the man said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and this woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim in the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Thank you. You may be seated. 
We have a tragic story that unfolds that man sins in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The very one thing God asked man not to do, which was eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by the way, that was just faith. That's all that was, was a lack of faith. It was a lack of faith that I can do things better than God can. I understand things better than God does. I can make my own way better than God can make my way. And so that happened in verses 1 through 7. Beginning in verse number 8, we see the, the, the consequences of the fall. We see the curse that's involved with the fall. As a matter of fact, I can sum up these five, and this is not, I'm not preaching yet. I'm just giving you the, the words. I can sum up this story with really five words. First of all is the word came. What do you mean by that? The Bible says, is that God came to the garden in the cool of the day, that here God is, he is going about normal business. Now, of course he knows what's happened, but God is showing up and he's going about his normal business and he came down to earth and his intention is to have the relationship with Adam and Eve that he's been enjoying up to this point. And, and God came down looking for Adam and Eve and they were not where they were supposed to be. And so God said, hey, where are you here in their sinful state? Here, God is aware and Adam and Eve are aware that the moment God's feet, so to speak, hit the ground, that the relationship has been broken between God and man. That the relationship is not the same between God and man. Yet God came looking for that relationship. The second word you can use to describe this story is the word shame. Sin immediately had a price. And after Adam and Eve sinned, there's nothing but shame in their life. Hear me, hear me. The devil said there would be fun. The devil said there would be joy. The devil said there would be fulfillment. But what is there? There's shame. That's what there is. Can I tell you whatever the devil is going to promise you in your life, what you're going to have is shame. What you're going to have is disappointment. What you're going to have is not what the devil promised you. He says to you in your life, just eat this fruit, just do this thing, just be with this person, just partake in this act, and you'll have all the joy and fun and fulfillment that you can possibly have, but that's not what happens. You have shame. And Adam and Eve are hiding themselves because they're ashamed of what they've done and they've broken their relationship with God. And that leads, number three, to blame. God looked at Adam and he said, uh, what have you done? And Adam said, hey God, this ain't on me. That woman you gave me? You remember that surgery? You put me to sleep. I didn't have anything to do with it. I was knocked out. You put me to sleep, and now look, I, I think I got the bad end of the deal, God, is what happened. It's her fault. God moves over to Eve, and he says, Eve, uh, what happened? And Eve said, well, it's not me. You, you're the one made the serpent. It's, it's on you. And he goes to the serpent and finds out the serpent has been inhabited by the devil. Just side note, we don't know, but from the curse that falls on the serpent. In all probability, the snake may very well have been a two-footed or four-footed animal back in the day. It was after the curse that he was made to crawl on his belly, not before. But nevertheless, man doesn't accept blame. Woman doesn't accept blame, uh, doesn't accept. We just blame somebody else. 
doesn't take responsibility, we blame. Number four, became. Became what? Verses 14 through 20, we became cursed. He said to the serpent that you will crawl on your belly all the days of your life. You'll eat dust and there'll always be hostility between you and man. He said to the woman that women, you are going to suffer birth pains because of your sin. Now, ladies, I don't know what that means, but I do feel like it means before the sin that birthing would have been easy. And we'd all had 12 kids. So maybe this is not the worst thing in the world that's ever known. I'm just saying, but, and then he said, you're going to always have a desire for your husband, but the way God set up the order of things, though, man was going to rule over the woman. And then he said, men, the creation is cursed because of you. The ground is cursed because of you. You're going to do, he, he used these words, painful labor all the days of your life in order to earn a living. Death was introduced. They didn't even know that. Physical death, verse 19, was introduced into the world. Spiritual death was introduced into the world, and they're not even aware of that at this point. They became cursed. And then number five, I'll use the word obtained. Verse 21, this happened. God clothed them with skin. Now, how did God clothe them with skin? The only way for God to clothe them with skin was to take the skin off an animal. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't take the skin off an animal voluntarily without taking his life. So God, in order to cover up the sin of man, shed innocent blood. God made a way, a provision for their guilt and shame. And in that one act in verse 21, we see the grace of God in that one act in verse 21, we see the mercy of God. In that one act, we see the forgiveness of God and the redemption of God that was supplied by God himself. All of that, that grace and that mercy and that redemption that is found in verse 21, all of that at that point forward is pointing towards a future Savior, pointing towards a future redemption. It's ultimately in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, pointing towards our final redemption that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 3, 21 is still pointing towards the cross. Like God made a temporary covering, but here's what God knew. That covering was never going to be permanent. That covering was never going to cover up the sins of man for all of eternity. And Paul said in the book of Hebrews, Paul said this, that it was never possible that the blood and bulls and goats could cover up our sins. Why? It took a God sacrifice for that to happen. And that sacrifice was Jesus. But on that day, they obtained their redemption, their forgiveness, all pointing towards a Savior. So what do those verses tell us about when we mess up our lives? What do those words tell us about when we've messed up our lives? How does God help us or how does God fix our lives? I'm going to give you four statements today about God fixing our lives because you may be here and your life may really feel messed up. 
Your life may really feel separated from God. You may be where you are and you don't feel close to God and you maybe maybe you know the mess up you've had. Maybe you know the sin you have and you look at your sin and you look at your life and you say, hey, I am so far from God. It can't be fixed, but I want to tell you it can be fixed. If God could fix the sin and the problem that Adam and Eve had created, trust me, God can fix your life. How did he fix it? Let me tell you four things we know about this story. Number one is this. When you mess up, God will come looking. When you mess up, God will come looking. Look at what he said. Where are you God came to the garden when he normally enjoyed that relationship and God said where are you God just didn't say you know what they've messed up I'm gonna make some more I'm gonna start over again I'm not gonna worry about them whatsoever no that's not what God did God said you have messed up you have broken our relationship and I'm not going to let you go. Hear me this morning. A severed relationship equals a searching savior. A severed relationship equals a searching savior. When you sever your relationship with God, when you walk away from God, when you get sin in your life apart from God, hear me, a severed relationship always equals a searching Savior. You say, well, preacher, I, I messed up. I, I, I hurt my relationship with God. I sinned. I did wrong. I don't know. I feel distant from God. I feel far away from God. I feel like God is not close. Hear me. I know. That's what sin does. Sin brings that shame into our lives. Sin brings that separation in our lives. Sin severs that relationship with an almighty God. But hear me, when you're far from God, when you mess up, God will always come looking. I saw this story the other day. It was the anniversary of the story uh, uh, that a missing woman, it mystery solved and and I'll, I'll tell you the story because you it seems like well they found a missing woman but it's 2012 in a tour bus in Iceland Canyon had stopped and let everybody off the tour bus to go look and as everybody got off the bus the driver counted and so everybody went out and toured they all got back on the bus he counted and they were missing a person and so somebody said, see who's not next to you that was here with you when we got off. And finally somebody said, the lady that was standing next to me, or sitting next to me, she's gone. She's gone. And so they yelled her name. They called for her. And after a while, the bus driver panicked, and he thought, I've lost somebody out in this canyon. They could die in this canyon. And he called the police. The police came out. They couldn't find her. They called a helicopter. And before you know it, 50 volunteers were combing through the canyon looking for this lady. They had a description of what she was wearing. They were so concerned. Helicopters flying overhead. 50 people are combing through the canyon. And among the 50 people who were looking for this lady was the lady. 
she had gone to the restroom and decided to change clothes. And when she came back out, they were already looking for her and she was not wearing what the description said she should be wearing. So she didn't recognize the description of her. But she said, bless this lady's heart. I'm going to help find her. And as they were out combing through the canyon hour after hour after hour, it was 3 a.m. in the morning. Somebody said, well, there she is. They were looking for somebody that really didn't need to be found. Can I tell you this? After you messed up your life, You ever messed up your life to this point that you don't really recognize who you are? Have you ever messed up your life to the point that you don't really recognize who you are? You don't recognize how you're acting. You don't recognize how you're looking, who you're hanging out with. You don't recognize you. But listen, God is still searching for you. God is still looking for you. If you're here today far from God, lost without Christ, hear me. God is looking for you. You say, well, I'm not looking for God. I know it. But God is still looking for you. If you're here today and you're saved and you've gotten a guilty distance from the Lord, you've sinned and you've separated your life from God, hear me, and you're out in the wilderness of life and you're thinking nobody cares, God doesn't care. Listen, I promise you, God is looking for you. Remember what it said in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Here's what you've got to know about Jesus. He's looking for you. What do you think, Matthew uh, chapter 18? What do you think if someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? How about this, Luke 15, 4? What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That Bible tells us if you're lost, Jesus is looking to seek and save in the lost. If you're already one of the sheep and you've wandered away from the fold, listen to me. When you mess up, God will come looking. When you mess up, we tend to close God off out of our lives. We tend to get God out of our lives. We tend to act like God doesn't exist. But I want to tell you, that thumping in your heart is God looking. That longing in your heart is God looking. That word from a brother or sister is God looking. That Bible verse you can't get out of your mind, it's all God looking for you. When you mess up, God says, where are you? Number two, second thing I want you to know about this passage is this. Fixing your mess will start with you admitting your guilt. You can't keep blaming someone and something else and start a recovery process in your life. Now this is what we do, right? Well, God, you know I'm this way because of the circumstances, the way I was raised. You say, I, I came from a dysfunctional home. Can, can we just put it on the table today? 99% of us came from a dysfunctional home. And my kids, when I'm dead and gone, will be looking at somebody saying, yeah, I came from a dysfunctional home. I don't know what I did to them, but I did something to them, I'm sure. Because I'm a sinner raising kids. We, we all are certain. Now listen, I'm not making fun of your circumstances. I know some people came from horrific situations. I get it. But we'll use that as our excuse. 
We'll blame it on our past. Listen, we'll blame it on other people. But can I tell you that healing begins in your life whenever we own what we've done to separate us from God. If you want to write something down, write this sentence down. Reasons become excuses when not dealt with. Reasons become excuses when not dealt with. God is not looking for your excuses. God is looking for you to say, yeah, Lord, that's on me. That's on me. You've had this. We've all had this happen in all probability if you had kids. You ever walk into your kid's room? And you surprise them, they open the door of their toddlers, and you look at your white wall. And all of a sudden, you've got an undecipherable mural on the wall. Your kid is sitting there. There's a pile of crayons at their feet. There's multiple crayons in each hand. There are crayons on their teeth and in their mouth. And you look at them and say, what in the world? What's the first words out of their mouth? I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. All the evidence is pointing towards you did it. But listen, that's exactly, we, we go from doing that as a toddler to doing that as an adult. And we look at God and say, I did not do it. But listen to what the psalmist said. The psalmist, I'm going to preach on this psalm in a few weeks. The psalmist said, against you and you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence. You're blameless when you judge. David said, hey God, it was me. God, I did it. Why? Because David wanted to own the healing in his life. I did it. Listen, you may not be responsible for the hurt in your past but you've got to own the mistakes of your present when you've messed up you're never going to find restoration you're never going to find healing you're never going to get it fixed as long as you're always saying the devil made me do it or the democrats made me do it or somebody else made me do it it's her fault it's his fault it's their fault it's my no 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 against you and you only have I sinned? Fixing your mess will start when you admit your guilt. Number three, I want you to know this, and I hate to even preach this point, but it's got to be said. For the time being, the restoration still leaves a mark. Here's the interesting thing about this story. God forgave and restored them, but they never got to go back to paradise. They were banned from the Garden of Eden. Now one day it'll be restored, we call that heaven. One day we'll have a new body, we call that heaven. But now, it leaves a scar in our lives. And before you're thinking about wandering away from God because you think, well, hey, I can always get right with God later on. God will forgive me. God, listen, all of that is true. But can I give you a word of warning in the middle of the story? Wandering away from God always leaves a scar. I was, a, I was a little boy and I was probably 10 years old and I had a neighbor kid that was always getting me in trouble. 
and uh, we, we were in this little, we were in a subdivision, a huge subdivision. They were always building new houses in it, two down, two doors down from us. They were building a house, and we went down there one day, and we got two pieces of construction board, four by eight, and we carried them up to some woods next to our house, and we built a fort. And then we decided, man, playing fort is so much fun. Let's let's take it another step and let's get a pile of rocks on my side and a pile of rocks on your side and we're gonna throw rocks at each other like we're really in a fort, like it's a real battle. And so we began to do it. We had this construction board in front of us. It wasn't real sturdy, but I would throw rocks and hit his construction board and he'd throw rocks, hit my construction board. And after a minute, he was a year or two older than me. After a minute, I think he decided that tearing up construction board wasn't as much fun. He'd rather tear me up. And so I noticed the rocks started coming faster and closer when I stood up. And I stood up one time going to hurl a rock at his construction board. And the minute I raised my head over my four by eight sheet of construction board, a rock hit me right here above my eye. And the minute it did, I don't know if there's a vein there or what, but the split second, blood didn't trickle down. Blood went and started running down my face. It hurt. I screamed. I cried. I started wandering across the street to my house. Brian said, well, you know what? I think it's time for me to go. It's getting late in the day and I'm going to head on back. He left me laying in the ditch in front of my home with blood covered on my face. My mama heard my cries. My daddy heard my cries. My mama came running out and blood was on my face. It was a gash in my forehead. Mama said, we got to get him to the hospital and get some stitches. My dad looked at me and said, Wipe the blood off, put a Band-Aid on it, he's fine. My mama said, he has got a gash in his head. My daddy said, it's his own fault. Wipe the blood off, put a Band-Aid on him, he's fine. So they wiped the blood off, put a Band-Aid on me. And I kept bleeding, but apparently I was fine. I got my dad later on, and dad said, where'd y'all get that construction board? And I said, we borrowed it from that house down there. And he said, uh, why were you throwing rocks at each other? He said, uh, I said, well, it was fun when we started, and then it wasn't. It's, he said, uh, that's what I thought. He said, uh, I said, am I, am I going to get a whipping? This happened multiple times in my life. I said, am I going to get a whipping? He said, no, I think you punished yourself quite enough. <laughs> and you know what I have today? I've got a scar right there. I'm fine, but there's a mark that every time I look in the mirror, I see this faint scar above my eye. Will God restore me? Yes, he will, but hear me. Don't use the grace and mercy of God, Paul said, as a license to sin because it will see leave a scar. Number four, let me tell you this, and I'm done. When you don't see a way, God will Make a way. Their sin shed innocent blood. Why were Adam and Eve hiding after they'd sinned? I'll tell you why they were hiding. They could not see a way out. 
They didn't, they could not fathom how this can be fixed. I have severed my relationship with God. I've messed up my relationship with God. All I know to do is hide and hear me. That's you and that's me, right? We mess up our lives. We sever our relationship with God. We mess up our, our walk with Christ and we don't know what to do. So we just go into hiding and we get away from church and we get away from God and we get away from our Bible and get away from our prayer. Why? You cannot figure a way out of your mess. No one in Genesis chapter three could have predicted that redemption plan. Nobody knew God was going to shed innocent blood. And no one could have predicted that eventually God would give his own son. Do you know why Jesus had to die? Jesus had to die because of Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 4,000 years later, Jesus gave his life for your life and mine. When you don't see a way, hear me, God will make a way. Whenever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, away from God, Jesus can make a way. But you're going to have to turn to Close your Bibles. Stand with me. I'm finished. I saw this the other day that um, uh, when do people buy a new car, right? If you're, if you're a car salesman, good, good, good thing. No. 39% of people stop driving their car and get a new one when the upkeep surpasses their budget, right? So 40%, but 61 don't. How about this? 38% when there are too many strange sounds or smells. Is that your, you might go get another one. How about this? 37% will get a new car when too many parts have to be replaced. How about this? 30, 37% will get a new car when too much of it's being held together by tape. That was an actual thing. But then I saw this about millennials. The average millennial will wait until there are eight warning lights on in their car before they carry it to the shop. Eight. I didn't even know the car had eight warning lights. That's got to mean out of gas too. Like the car had eight warning lights. The car is saying to you, hey, I'm about to die. But you know what I thought? Most of us will wait about eight warnings in our own life before we'll take our life to Jesus to be fixed. You say, preacher, you don't, you don't know. I have messed this thing up so bad, I, I don't even think God can fix it. I have, I have made a mess of my family. I've made a mess of my relationships. I've made a mess of my job. I've made a mess of my life. <gasps> preacher, you don't understand. I don't. And I'll be honest, if you ask me to map a way out, I couldn't even map a way out from your mess. But here's what I know. When you don't see a way, God will and can make a way. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Our pastors are coming. Last week, Pastor Joel dealt with um, our problem with sin that is described in Genesis chapter 3. And we, we talk about that often together and the fact that sin started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But Satan's tactics haven't changed. He attacks us in the same way that he attacked Adam and Eve. The good news this week is um, Pastor Joel gave us um, how we're to respond when we 
uh, when we find ourselves in a place where we need to get right with God. Um, here's the good news. God pursues us. God came to Adam and Eve, just like he had always done, wanting that relationship with them. And he does the same thing with us. And whether you've put your faith and trust in Jesus or uh, whether you've just got a sin that you struggle with that you need to get victory over, God wants that relationship with you. And forgiveness is found at the foot of the cross. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and today you need to do that. Begins with you understanding, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to fix your problem with sin, um, but you've got to be willing to admit it. Secondly, you've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross and the perfect, sinless Son of God paid the penalty for your sin. He died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. You got to believe that. And then thirdly, you confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe God has spoken to your heart this morning, and today is the day you need to give your heart and life to him. In the quietness of this moment, right wherever you are, tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day to pay the price for my sin. And Lord, I ask you right now through the power of your Holy Spirit to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that this morning for the very first time, hey, we want to celebrate with you. We want to say welcome to the family, and we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so, pull out your phone and text 423 800 1871. Text 423-800-1871. That's my cell phone number. Just send me your name. I'm going to connect with you and help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. It's been great to worship together this morning. Can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.